Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's Squiggly Career Podcast. I'm Sarah, and I'm joined by my co founder of Amazing If, Helen. Hi, everybody. And actually, this week, I'm actually joined in the same room. Uh, we're in a Holiday Inn in Chester. I feel like, but we're not in the same, we're in the same hotel room to record the podcast, but we haven't got the same hotel no. room just to like make sure we do have some distance in our yeah. friendship. I feel a bit like we are on a school trip though. You know, when you go on those school trips and you're like, you're in your sort of like twin rooms and stuff. It does feel a bit like that. But uh, it's not, it is always nice to be able to actually be in the same room, which is exciting. And for all of our new listeners, we know we have new people joining us every week. This podcast is here really to help you develop the skills you need to succeed in your squiggly career. And we know that all of us are finding ourselves, I think, getting ever more squiggly week after week, month after month, both in terms of our own careers and the choices we're making, but also the environments that we're finding ourselves in. And actually this week we had a lovely bit of feedback on the podcast on Instagram from someone actually who had been really brave had gone for a promotion in a different function and in preparation listened to the Finding a New Job podcast three times. She said back to back, <laughs> which I was like, we must have been so, I don't know, in her head by that point and probably she must have been fed up with us. But it obviously worked because she got the job. Hooray! So um, it's those little moments of feedback that make us super happy. So thank you for continuing to follow us on Instagram, for recommending the podcast to others and uh, reviewing it. Makes all the difference and means that we can keep doing this for you each week. So today we're going to be talking about communication skills, all the different types of communication and lots of hints and tips in terms of how you can really make sure that you're flexing your communication skills in all the different situations and scenarios we find ourselves in. And I guess, Helen, within a squiggly career, do you think communication skills are becoming more important? Have they always been important? What's what's your view? Yeah, so communication skills have always been important because I think work is essentially about getting things done with other people and you can't do that without communicating with people. So they've always been important. But I was thinking, what does a squiggly career mean that, you know, how does that make it different? And I, I went back to, okay, what, what what's a squiggly career all about? Well, a squiggly career has got quite a lot of change in it. You're going to be moving around more. You're going to be building more relationships and other people. And I think in in the context of that change in new relationships, I think the the difference in your communication skills is that I think you need to be able to communicate in a really clear way in lots of different formats because you might be doing face-to-face, which is kind of how work used to be done, but you're also going to be doing 
quite a lot of virtual communication. So I think thinking about how you can translate being good at face-to-face also with virtual teams, because more people are going to be working in remote kind of um, teams now. I think that's a skill. Also, I think making sure that you can communicate what you stand for and who you are. I think that's really important in a squiggly career so that you can do more of what you're great at. Otherwise, sometimes a squiggly career can be in control of you. So I think that, again, goes back to clear communication, confident communication, also quite quick communication because the like it or not, everything's just a lot faster than it used to be. So getting to the point, being succinct, making sure people are on board with you. I think that that speed of communication is also something that a squiggly career is a slightly different muscle that you need to build in your communication than perhaps it used to be when things were a bit more predictable, a bit more staircase-like, a bit more in-person and a bit slower. And so today, what we thought might be really useful is to talk about the different types of communication that Helen's just talked about. So written communication, face-to-face, virtual communication, and also listening. And for each of those areas, we're going to do some techniques and things that we've used that we think can kind of really help you develop that communication style for whatever it is, whatever job you do. Because I think there's no job now where you don't end up at some point writing something, speaking to somebody, meeting people you know, whether it's via video conference um, or even in real life. And I think we've included listening as I feel like that's a sort of often underestimated part of communication. We often think of communication as as being kind of the person doing something. But I think thinking about listening as, as being an action as well can be incredibly powerful. So we'll talk about that at the end. So should we start with, with uh, written communication? Yes. Helen, do you want to kick off with your sort of first kind of hint that you think might be useful for people? Yeah, so I think I do quite a lot of written communication in different ways. So there's obviously like the, the there's email um, and uh, I also do quite a lot of writing. So I write for Marketing Week every month and I um, kind of write articles as well on LinkedIn. And obviously Sarah and I are also writing the book, which is quite exciting. So I think I have definitely got better at written communication and there are a few specific things that help me. So the first thing with written communication in where whether it's kind of a long form, so like an article or a book or something like that, or short form, ideally like an email, like that's probably a tip in itself, keep emails short. But I think take fewer, take out words. So I will write something and then I will often go back through what I've written and see if I can make it more succinct and a bit sharper and a bit less verbose. And there's a a quote I really like that's attributed to Winston Churchill about a letter that he was writing to somebody, a confidant or something. And it said, um, I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have time And I always really like that. So the idea that actually, do you know what? Writing succinctly takes a bit more effort. It's actually quite easy just to write a stream of consciousness down on a paper and then almost put the effort onto somebody else to interpret that. Whereas making sure that you go through it and think, is this compelling? Is it clear? Is the reason I'm writing to you and what I expect, you know, outlined very early on in this written communication? I think that's a really important thing. So take as many words out as you can to make sure that your message is clear and compelling and what's there is meaningful. Also, the language that you use, make it kind of common sense language. So things like acronyms, it's so easy. You know, um, when I was at Microsoft, that's probably the company that had the most acronyms that, you know, to the extent that we had like a glossary when you started there of all the acronyms that were being used and you sort of used to capture them. Maybe and... that in itself should exactly, tell you that exactly. there's a problem. If you have to, you know, produce a glossary to be able to interpret <laughs> something. So, yeah, make sure that you, you, you know, take out acronyms 
terms, be human in your language. And it reminds me a couple of years ago, about probably about three years ago, I was writing an article. Oh, I think it might have been for Marketing Week. And I sent it over to Sarah to have a look at. Um, and in that article, I had referred to my little boy, Henry, as my child. <laughs> and I remember Sarah said, oh, like the articles, yeah, it's really good, Helen, it's all fine. But maybe like call that child Henry because he's a person. And it really stuck with me that actually you want to connect on a human level to the person or people that are reading things. And so acronyms and those terms like common sense language is much more compelling and human language and personalizing things is much more compelling to people so fewer words make it as personal as you can use common sense language reduce the amount of acronyms that's kind of some of my my top tips for landing written communication and actually some of you will know we've just started our process of writing our book the squiggly career and we've had our first bit of feedback from our editor, which actually was really nerve wracking wait, <laughs> waiting for that feedback. Because I was just imagining, you know, if she came back and just went, no, sorry. Take back, just, take back the book yeah, contract. This is, this is not what we'd imagined. And it was, it was what's really useful about an editor is their job essentially is to give feedback. So they must get very used to kind of how do you give people feedback in a way that's constructive and positive, which all of our feedback very much was. And one of the things that um, Lydia, who is our editor, said to us, is it's so helpful to read back what you've written out loud and just check that it makes sense. And actually, I have started doing that with lots of the things that I write because I, it's often one of the bits of advice that I give to other people, especially for emails. The amount of emails I see where a sentence is goes over three or four lines. If a sentence goes over three or four lines, I can guarantee that you cannot read that out loud without needing a full stop or without needing a space. And you can't just cheat by putting four million commas in there. And so I think just if it's a really important bit of written communication, taking the time to go back over it and talking out loud is really helpful. And just actually, before I give my technique, I guess, on written communication, a shout out to Helen's latest article actually on LinkedIn is all about squiggly careers and how we're scaling squiggly careers. So um, how can people find that, Helen? Just on your page? Yeah, you can. It's a really good read. My name, Helen Tupper, on LinkedIn. And then it actually tells you. And one of the things I actually really like about the article, I've been trying to find this photo for ages that Sarah and I took in 2013 when we first came up with the concept of Amazing If. And it was mm-hmm. a, a, of, my, um, of my house at the time. Very and, scientific. Yeah, yeah. It was very scientific. There was a lot of post-it notes going on. But yeah, in that article, look for it on LinkedIn. You can, you can you know, read about, I guess you can see my writing if um, that helps you but um, also you can you know hear a bit about Amazing If and um, from the article and you can see that picture of where we started um, 2013. One of the things that I found really useful with writing and trying to tell a story through writing because sometimes you're maybe doing a one-page summary or a presentation where you're not going to get the opportunity to present it so it's written and it's just sent to somebody or sometimes it might be something that you're writing but you're also going to talk it through. It's something called the Minto Pyramid Approach And this is used a lot by McKinsey, which is why sometimes people who've worked in consultancy know it very well. And essentially, it's it's something called SCQA, which is situation, complication, question and answer. And I found that structure incredibly useful to tell a story in lots of the things that I've done in the past where I've been trying to maybe explain what I'm trying to do, recommend something. So just starting off by explaining kind of where we are today, essentially, which is the situation What's maybe the problem we're trying to solve, which is the complication? Um, you know, what's the challenge? What, why, why are we even writing this bit of communication, being really kind of clear about what's changing, what's the context? Then having lots of clarity about what is the question we're asking? 
you know, being really clear then, I think, about the problem you're trying to specifically solve. And then answer is just your recommendation. But if you structure presentations in this way, it sounds quite almost formal, but I think it helps you to tell your story. Now, some people can do to tell stories in incredibly powerful ways through pictures or they're very kind of compelling presenters. But if you want to try and do something that feels like it all makes sense and you find it quite helpful to have almost a bit of a technique as a starting point, definitely have a look at that. And we'll include in the resources um, some examples of people who've done that really well, a bit more information about how to do that. It's used a lot by lots of different people. So it's uh, worth having a look at if you've not seen it before. Next then, let's go on to face-to-face communication. And I've um, actually spent the two days prior to this in Amsterdam at a conference, a conference called Unleash. And knowing that we were going to do this podcast, there were a lot of people presenting at that at that conference. They were doing what you call keynotes. So there's, you know, a thousand people in the audience and these, these people that are on stage. And I was really, really watching them, really critiquing them, these poor people. And I'm like, you're doing that well, you're not doing that well. And I was really critiquing them because I, I want to learning it better at face-to-face communication and there was one particular guy who was doing a presentation on trust and he was so compelling and then he um he'd actually won some kind of best speaker awards as well so kind of not surprising but I really thought I wanted to watch him about why why are you so compelling and there are a couple of things that I took away from his approach and the first was that he he made his presentation quite real because he had a prop um, and his prop, he was talking about trust. And so he took some money out of his wallet and he was like, um, you know, m- money basically is a is a piece of paper with some numbers on it. It's not really, there's no value of a piece of paper, but we trust that it's got value. And so what he'd done is he'd kind of got this prop that everybody could look at it and it, and it suddenly, it just made everything a bit more real, a bit more tangible. You suddenly started connecting to his story. It wasn't just, they were just, weren't just listening to him and it wasn't just boring and he kind of, so I think the, the use of props to illustrate a, a point and I've seen it done before some people bring out, uh, I don't know, I've seen it done with some people bringing out Snickers bars that have got the um, the the sentences on the side of the Snickers bars, all kinds of things. It doesn't really matter, but just uh, some, something that you can anchor people's attention to other than just your voice or a slide, which is what a lot of people do in face-to-face communications. I think sometimes PowerPoint presentations can be more important than the person and that's not what we want. So I thought he did that very well. He was also really good at pace, the pace of his communication. So he would talk and pause, for example, and he'd obviously practice that I really think that is a real skill I don't think I have it yet um, to use a growth mindset phrase uh, but uh, it's something that I'm trying to do to just be a bit more conscious of when I pause so that I can bring an audience with me but he did that very very well and then the other thing that he did was he interwove stories personal stories into his content so his content was you know he had stats all over the place around trust and the banking crisis all kinds of stuff you know it was a very well researched presentation but he made it more human and more relatable because he started talking about his son his um his like 23-year-old son who'd made some money on Bitcoin and, you know, he was placing his trust in Bitcoin and his dad was placing his trust in bank. And suddenly you just connected with him as a human being rather than this person that knows a lot on a stage. And I really thought, what? Well, how can I take that away? Well, I can definitely take pausing more possibly not on a podcast because it might be a bit boring for you, but on a, on a, in a stage or in a team meeting, in, 
including more pauses. I think thinking about if I'm really trying to engage and inspire people, can I use some kind of props, you know, a picture of my family or something? Um, if I'm talking about career planning, can I show my first career plan or something like that? So what props can I use? And then just making it human, what personal stories have I got to put into a conversation to create a bit of empathy, create some connection with an audience in face-to-face communication? So that's kind of my tips. And what I would say about the telling stories is uh, last week our podcast was all about bravery and I told a story about a particular situation where I'd been brave that had been quite hard for me and what's interesting is over the last week in terms of the feedback that I've had on the podcast that story has come up consistently. Lots of people talk to me about that story because that's obviously the bit that stuck with people so it's made it more memorable and it's made it probably more likely for people to share it so kind of telling stories is really powerful you often I think obsess about the kind of content or the bits that you think are really important but fundamentally people are way more interested in people and that's where if you can kind of tell stories it's much more memorable the other thing on face-to-face communication is I think the starting point needs to be go with an approach that feels authentic to you and make your own style even better rather than trying to be something you're not I've actually seen people go slightly wrong here where there's lots of stuff out there now about being an amazing like presenter or face-to-face communicator. You know, we're, we bombard you with lots of TED Talks that you should go and watch <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And these are people who've practised one specific presentation probably hundreds of times. So, of course, look really polished and, oh, they happen to be a bit funny and, you know, they've got brilliant pace and it, it all seems so slick and you think, OK, well, that's what I have to do. And actually, you don't. Um, the best, Some of the best presenters I've seen would not necessarily have been the best presenter in terms of their like skill. They wouldn't have necessarily had every single one of those things that kind of Helen's just talked about. What they've been is often themselves really passionate about the topic. They've told some really good stories. And sometimes they've been people who've clearly been nervous presenting, but they, they're still really memorable. And so I think don't the target here, I think, is not to be some sort of super slick presenter or always be really slick in all your communication you know it's okay to care and to not be perfect every time the thing that really helped me the most actually in terms of improving my communication was asking for lots of small bits of feedback about how I could improve my communication so I would ask somebody I was working with each time I was doing a different sort of presentation for just one idea about how I could make that presentation a little bit better So I didn't want millions of ideas so I wouldn't be sure about what I was meant to do. I just wanted one sort of small thing. And I found that I did a big presentation once at Sainsbury's in an auditorium where my boss said to me, oh, it was all brilliant, but do you know how many times you said you used the phrase kind of? And I thought, oh, I definitely don't want to know the answer to this. Now that she said that, also she had a tally in front of her. And it, and it, <laughs> and it was it was a lot. I can't, I can't remember. It, it was way more than you'd imagine. It wasn't even that long a presentation. I think it was like 16. And you, I was like, oh, no. I was almost like devastated. This was, a, you know, it was an important forum and influential stakeholders in that room. And then it was really interesting because, and the reason I sort of said it's useful but kind of don't overstate it, is I asked three or four of the people and no one else had noticed. But of course, the reason this person has noticed is because I'd asked them to do that, to notice that. And so don't kind of overstate this thing of you've got to be perfect all the time, but you can spot small little improvements that you can make. And obviously by me reducing the amount of times I say kind of, it means that you have more gravitas, you're not wasting words. It's much better to pause than to say kind of. So though people might not always proactively notice it, they probably would appreciate your presentation being a little bit better. 
also it's important I think to have an authentic style so even though I could see that guy on stage it's not necessarily how I would do it like I really respected how he did it and there's definitely things that I could learn but when you do a presentation you have some some feedback from someone or someone practically gives it to you and they say oh that was a really good presentation I think it's good to understand what was good about it so you can say thanks thanks for that can you tell me specifically what you thought was good because in that is the kind of the key to your authenticity so I often get a lot of feedback about um, my energy so people will say oh Helen that was a really good presentation and if I probe them on it they'll say oh you got us really energized really enthused really excited so I'm generally quite good at presenting at the start of like a meeting or something like that or the start of an event because I can get everybody um kind of really energized and engaged now there's no point really I mean I could do it for growth mindset to try and test a different approach but if that's what makes me good and if that what makes me valuable in terms of you know bringing people with me on a a presentation then me being the slow considered person landing key messages that might be interesting for me to just try but it's unlikely to be authentic to me so finding your style that is uh, impactful for other people whether you're the person who is amazing at communicating data so that it is sort of meaningful to people or whether you're the person who's brilliant at doing serious messages with big pauses or whether you're me who is great at saying things quite quickly but getting people excited and putting lots of energy into it get enough feedback so that you can work out what specifically is it that people find good and engaging about your face-to-face communication Actually, that really kind of reminds me. So this week, somebody actually got in touch with me and said, we think you're really good at facilitating panel discussions. Can you tell me what it is that you do that means you're good at that? And actually, I'd never stopped and thought about it. I I knew that that was something I was confident doing. And actually, I enjoy. So I, I enjoy facilitating those kind of conversations. But when someone then asked me to say, so what is it that you do? It's then been a, it was a really helpful process for me to respond to her because actually I realized there were certain things that I do consistently that helps me to be good at that. Some of it is I naturally enjoy listening to different people and getting different people's points of view. But some of them were specific things like making sure that I was prepared, spent time with the people beforehand. I always have a question at the end of any panel discussion that's one short, sharp question that's a really good way to finish. So I think about my open, I think about my finish. And so almost I was just starting to codify almost what it was that made me good in that situation. And now that I've written it down, I sort of feel like that will help me next time because I probably do three quarters of those things most of the time. Whereas now I'll probably think, oh, I should do all of those things every time because putting those things together will probably make me even better at those discussions. My my last thing on face-to-face communication is about um, just beware of things that are distracting your audience, whether it's a big audience or, you know, it's small, it's a team meeting, just be aware of things that might be distracting them from you. So that might be you keep looking back at the PowerPoint presentation because you're not feeling very confident, but then that becomes the main thing in the room. Or it might be you're fiddling with your clothes or earrings. your hands. That's or what I earrings do, earrings. Or, or you are, you know, your hands, you can't possibly let go of the bottle of water you've got in your hands and you kind of keep flicking it. Or maybe you're pacing on a stage as uncomfortable as you might find it, the easiest way of working out, have you got anything that is distracting your audience from you? The easiest way of working that out is to get someone to video you like on a phone and you might feel really uncomfortable asking for that and you also will probably feel really uncomfortable watching it back. But it's um, it's just a really good way of going, ooh, actually, yeah, I stood with my legs crossed or I fiddled or whatever the thing is, I just stood behind the lectern and I didn't move. I think that is also just a good thing because you just don't want those things to distract. If you've 
taken that deep breath and you've prepared and you've had the confidence to go and do that 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 communication uh, whether it's kind of big or small you don't want those things to undermine your impact even on a budget quality is non-negotiable that's why quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks italian leather jackets and so much more And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So let's talk now about virtual communication. So when Sarah asked me, you know, is communication, is it important in a different way in a squiggly career? I think one of the ways that it's definitely different is because technology now means that people are working in lots of different ways. And so that often teams might have some people in them that are working remotely and for all or part of their time. And that's given rise to the development of a new skill, which is virtual communication. So thinking about things like Slack or Microsoft Teams or doing more conference calls or Skype calls, whatever it is, there's a, a need to develop a muscle for communicating to people when you're when you're not in person or it's not it's not kind of written communication. And Sarah and I are both finding this, you know, my, my team at Microsoft had lots of people that were working at home. And when I was at BP, I had a, a kind of global team there. Um, you'll be working with clients in different countries. Mm. Last week, I actually did for the first time uh, seven interviews remotely. Yeah, which I've I've never done before. I and I think I always it really challenges some of your assumptions because I always like to feel like I get to know someone in terms of them, you know, being there in the room and developing that rapport. And so we were using Zoom, so video technology. And actually, it worked just as well. Like I really felt like I got to know those people as if they were in the room. So actually, it worked. It worked fine, but initially I was quite nervous about it because I thought, oh, is it going to be a bit awkward almost? But once you get started, it, it was really great. And um, one of the things, whilst we thought we can and will share our thoughts on this, we also wanted to go to some people that we consider real experts in this, um, in, particularly in terms of the, the, the changing world of work and using virtual communication as a primary mode of communication. And there's an organisation that we work closely with called the Hoxby Collective, and they're founded by two people, Alex Hurst and Lizzie Penny. And the Hoxby Collective is a global community of freelancers. It's over 400 people who work remotely. They basically define their work style and they come together on Slack as a community and they get kind of curated as, a, as mini teams on different projects. And so they are working virtually every single day. They communicate with each other virtually. These are teams of people that have never met each other that will work for a month, two months, three months on projects. And so they have to be able to 
form a bond together as a team very, very quickly and find ways of working together efficiently quickly. And so we asked Alex, kind of like, you do this stuff every day. You have a whole company of over 400 people that are doing this stuff every day. What top tips have you got for virtual communication in this kind of new new world of work? And he gave us three things that he said are absolutely key to Hoxby's success in making this work. The first is to be explicit. Alex said that actually virtual communication means that you have to explicitly state everything that you want to be understood. If you don't say it, it's not going to be heard. There's this kind of, there's no interpretation in here. You've got to be specific. There's no implicit communication in a virtual world. I mean, I think that's such a powerful statement. Yeah. Um, and and I, I have worked really closely with Hoxby and I've, you know, communicated in those Slack forums and I can really, really see it. And Alex and Lizzie really model it. I've learned a lot from them. Another tip that Alex talked about was about being being very clear. So it's important to avoid communi- confusion and be really clear about your communication and choose your words carefully. Things like sarcasm don't translate <laughs> that yeah. well. And yeah. I think that's particularly important in virtual communication, but particularly when it's a global team as well, because some of those um, kind of cultural nuances, they just don't don't translate. You've just got to be you've got to be clear. And the last thing he was talking about as a top tip is around being articulate. So uh, because people are time poor, it's one of the benefits of virtual working is that you can kind of have time to think about what you want to say and express it in a simplest way. And so actually you've got to be really articulate with with what you want to say and it makes it easier and more enjoyable for people to work with you if you can do that. Yeah, and I think sometimes in my experience, using virtual communication, because you're often using things like instant messenger, you can actually get a bit lazy. I think a few times you're sort of having more of a conversation with somebody that you're working with and actually, I found myself, I'm sort of thinking at the same time as I'm telling somebody what I'm thinking. And actually, that's not helpful. What they need to know is I need to have decided what I thought and I need to tell them what the action is or my point of view. And so just making sure that you're kind of not using it for the wrong purposes. And and I'm just getting used to using Slack at the moment. And I've definitely observed a few times where I've just been almost talking to myself <laughs> over the channel but then other people can obviously see that and are responding to that. And I think that probably can become confusing quite quickly, especially if you're leading that team, because they're sort of going, is this what you think? Do you want me to do anything with this? Or are these just musings? And I suspect at times for me, they've just been musings. I totally agree with you. I hadn't thought about it until you said that, but I do think it's lazy communication and I definitely do it. And I do it to you as well. And so you're probably a bit more forgiving than most people. But um, like I'll message you whilst I'm thinking and I'll be like, I'll send Sarah something. and be like, I've been thinking this is what we should do. And I think this is how we should position it. And then I'll be like, oh, wait. And actually what I should have done is just sat with it in my own brain a little bit. And before I sent yeah. it, because all I've done is filled Sarah's inbox or her messaging with my kind of half-baked thoughts. I do think just because it's instant doesn't mean that you shouldn't put as much effort into things thinking about how you're going to get your message across. Yeah, and I think especially if you think about now just the volume of communication, actually, because there's so much, what you do need really needs to cut through. So if you're if all of your communication is, is trying to cut through and stand out, what do you need to do to it? And I think that's a good way of thinking about written, face-to-face, virtual. And if somebody, someone was telling me this, but if someone was then to take, I don't know, the, everything you communicated in the last 24 hours and made that into a newspaper for you to read, what would you think of that? Is it interesting? Is it useful? <laughs> Scary. Is it informative? Is it relevant? And and I, I sometimes do that kind of mini test in my own head to think, okay, so how would I feel if all of my communication was somehow put together and lots of people could read it? 
would I feel okay about it or not? It's just it's just a good it's just a good little test. That's a good thought provoking thing. Um, my final thing on virtual communication is that I I, I learned from Microsoft actually. So. Microsoft own a product called Skype, which you probably are familiar with. And what I noticed in a lot of companies that we we work with Amazing If is that a lot of people use Skype or alternative. Sarah talked about Zoom. Um, but what they use it for is a, kind of almost like the calling function, not the video function. And actually at Microsoft, we got very good at whenever we were using a tool like um, Skype for us, but whenever we're using that tool to turn the video on, because actually it's got, even though people are working remotely, it's super powerful to be able to see them and so I would really advise you if you are kind of you've got a virtual you've kind of got a remote team and you need to employ some of these communications to think about when you know, turn the camera on basically it's such a positive way of making sure that people who are working in different places still feel connected and you still got that kind of human interaction going on because otherwise these short sharp instant messages can sometimes be a bit faceless and I think people are looking for more belonging in the workplace and so we need to find ways to to put that in to our virtual communications. And then the last one that we just wanted to spend a little bit of time on is listening. And I think listening is still, you know, quite undervalued within the workplace. And when listening is done well, and when I've worked with and for people who are very good at listening, it's incredibly powerful. Because actually to be listened to is a really lovely feeling. It's, it's nice when someone spends the time to listen to, really listen to what you've got to say. And there's a really good exercise that Helen and I have actually both done probably a few times where when you're next in a meeting, mark down and kind of observe and maybe like mark it sneakily or in your own head how many times people are interrupted. And you'll find it is an awful lot. And by interrupting people, essentially, you're stopping somebody's flow of thinking. You're not letting them finish what their thought was, what they were trying to share. And you're sort of half listening. Or, you know, that thing sometimes people say... um, you know, you're just basically waiting to speak. You're listening because you're just thinking as soon as there's a pause, I want I want to say whatever it is that I want to say. And of course, we all do it. And lots of it comes out of like enthusiasm. You want to build on what someone says. You're trying to be supportive. Sometimes not. Sometimes it can be more and more negative um, interruption. But just seeing what the general behaviours are, kind of where you work at the moment, like how much does this happen and what kind of interruption is it? And then you can spot for yourself because when you do this, inevitably you don't interrupt that much because you're really, you're hyper aware of going, obviously I wouldn't, I wouldn't be interrupting. (laughs) Obviously. But I bet when you do the exercise, you will still interrupt because every time I've done it, I've still ended up interrupting at some point or, or maybe not quite listening to somebody properly or doing that fake listening thing where you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you're just like, this is what I want to say. And so just think about your sort of, style of listening how are you showing people that you've really understood what they've said and are you giving people kind of the time to make really make sure you understand what their point of view is I remember that exercise so well and it was the thing that really stuck with me was both both the amount of interruptions that I was doing but in in my mind before I'd kind of got the results of this exercise I'd really thought oh my my interruptions are positive because I'm always I'm all right I'm all right (laughs) I'm always adding value because what I'm doing is building on somebody's idea and I'm sharing what I know to help them but that's still interrupting and uh, you're still stopping someone's train of thought and you're potentially 
you know, sparking a new one that might not be the right one. So it was almost just because I think I know something that can help. So it was coming from a good place doesn't mean it's not an interruption. And maybe occasionally that's a good thing. But if that's my primary way that I am looking to add value to a team to interrupt with stuff I know, then actually that's not great. And I think a skill of a listener is actually something I find quite hard in coaching sometimes, to be really honest. The coaching is really teaching me to become a better listener and also kind of making me reflect on when I'm not a very good listener because I can see that I do have a habit of interrupting people with the intention of adding value but that doesn't make any difference it's still interrupting people and so I'm definitely trying to get more aware of that and to become a better listener and we're doing some training at the moment with Money Supermarket and I was in a session with them last week and I I was actually learning quite a lot from the people in the room because I was just watching them which sounds a bit stalkerish but they were doing an exercise in pairs and I was just looking at um, one, one person was talking and the other person was listening and I could just see some amazing listening going on sort of nodding real no interruptions very you know strong eye contact like it was really powerful to observe people who I thought are better listeners than me and I just thought wow you you know you I told them all what a good job it was because I really feel as Sarah said earlier I think it's very respectful to listen to somebody and to let them talk and to not interrupt and actually that is don't underestimate that as a skill and one of the things that listening I found can really help you with, and this is an article that we'll put as part of the resources, is if you're trying to help people to change or if you want people to do something differently and you're actually struggling to make that change, so maybe you've got different points of view or you're finding somebody hard to work with, just listening to them can give you an awful lot of insights. So A, you can start to really, it helps you to have empathy So it means you can put yourself kind of in their shoes because you're really taking the time to kind of understand their world. Secondly, I've actually found a few times if you really listen to what someone's got to say, their kind of point of view, even if it's very different to yours, by giving them lot, you know, giving them the opportunity to really share what they're thinking, at some point people stop talking. And (laughs) and when they do, often, you know, you've given them so much kind of license to share what they think. When they do then stop what you then say in that moment is incredibly powerful. You can either ask a question or sometimes I found a few times when I've done this, people then kind of get to the end and then say to me, well, now we'd really like to hear what you think or what do you think about that? And then they're much more prepared to listen to you because you've listened to them. So there's some sort of like reciprocity in you've been very generous with your listening and then they'll either do the same or at least they'll actually feel better having spent the time sort of telling you what it is that the kind of the objections they might have or what they're finding difficult. And then suddenly they're more open to changing. So it's worth reading that article because I think there's lots of power in listening for both individuals feeling understood, respected, listened to, but also in terms of driving change as well. So that's one really really useful resource we just talked about, um, about listening. Some other ones that we'll link to everywhere you can find the podcast. There was a brilliant writing course I went on probably about a year ago now called Dark Angels. And we'll put a link to the Dark Angels site on the website and things. And it just, it's actually a creative writing course. But I would say if you're not into creative writing kind of don't be put off by that. I'm, I'm not a creative writer. I don't write sort of storied stories or storytelling or anything like that. But just going, spending a day thinking about the quality of my writing, the use of words, what words meant in a very supportive, fun, and actually it's a really inspirational environment they create, was just a really lovely 
way to sort of think about my communication. And I was with you know, a really diverse range of people. So if you're if you're particularly interested in written communication, I definitely recommend looking at their sessions. You just reminded me, Sarah, when I um, remember that innovation course, and I did this. I did a screenwriting course for about did eight you? weeks, and you had to basically write a script for an uh, for a, like a film or something. And I, I that is a completely different writing skill. It definitely was one that I was very. I had a lot of development <laughs> <laughs> development opportunities in that. It was not you're not the next thing. Uh, Steven Spielberg. No, then. no. no. Actually, we did look at his. We did look at his kind of right. script as, as, as an example because you have to write in a very different way and almost you have to describe the scene and it was very I've never ever written anything in that way but I think these different even though you might think well how's that going to help me to write a better email at work if that's it really does it really does because yeah. you're just a bit more conscious of the words that you're doing how you're engaging people intentional about the words so I definitely these kind of like creative writing courses they're just they just help you to build a muscle so that's some stuff on writing body language always good to look at when you're thinking about communication uh, there's Amy Cuddy, who I'm sure we must have mentioned on the podcast before, but her, she's a, um, I think she's at Harvard, isn't she? Is that the right? Not entirely sure. Mm, I, I feel her. I, I want to get, I'm going to say Harvard. If she's not, I'm sorry. And she's done lots of work around presence, body language, and, and research into the impact that that has in terms of the gravitas and your ability to get stuff done at work. There's also a lady I really like who I've seen speak a few times called Judy James, who's actually sometimes on like UK breakfast telly and stuff like that talking about presenting yourself and how to be kind of strong and confident and there's a really good video you can watch of almost one of the sessions that she does and actually she's in usually really high demand and quite you know usually quite expensive to go and see so it's quite good that there's something free that you can watch and then there's a couple of extra um, links on there one around that scqa technique that i talked about a good article about learning to use that and one more about storytelling which is um on ted and i think there's lots of stuff out there on storytelling and how powerful that is. So if that's something you think might be important in your job, I definitely recommend having a look at some of those resources. And they will all be on a blog post on our website, so you'll be able to find them there. Um, and it will just be in the communications blog, so you'll be able to find that. Um, and so next week then, next week's podcast topic is inspired by um, a story that I did on Instagram last week. I talked about um, just feeling kind of feeling, like I was having a day where I was in a, like a little bit of a, a funk, you know, those days where uh, things aren't like quite as you want them to go. And my Instagram story was about ways that I kind of was getting out of my funk that day. And I added a poll, because you can do that on Instagram stories I did a poll to say look I'm having a bit of a funk how are you feeling and it was just right you know you kind of click on the poll of whether you were feeling fine or whether you're feeling like you're in a bit of a funk and um, then the people that voted uh, basically it was three to one in terms of the amount of people that were just felt like they were in a bit of a work funk at the moment and I was like wow that's quite a lot of people that have responded to this poll you know 75% of you feel a bit funky at the moment at work and so what we want to do next week in the podcast is if we apply that to everybody that listens to this if three of the people listening to this are also feeling like they're in a bit of a work funk that's a lot of people that we think we can help so next week's podcast is going to be if you're in a bit of a work funk what proactive things can you do to get yourself out of a work funk to get back engaged in work to get back inspired and get kind of doing things that you love at work so that is going to be getting out of a work funk is next week's topic um as ever you can stay in touch with us you can suggest your own topics for our podcast there are lots of ways that you can get in touch with us so instagram as i said there where that story was that's just at amazing if on instagram we're also on twitter that's where we do lots of links to resources and things that we're reading that's at amazing underscore if because somebody else is amazing if unfortunately uh, how, and how then, dare they how, how dare, dare they? they how dare they 
Um, if you want to see that article uh, that Sarah mentioned that I, I wrote on kind of scaling squiggly careers, that's on LinkedIn. Just look um, Helen Tupper and obviously Sarah is also on. Sarah Ellis is also on LinkedIn. Or if you've got an email, if you've got any thoughts, any comments or reflections, just get in touch at amazingif.com. That is the email address. Um, so I think that's everything for today. Thank you for your time and we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.